We'll get started on this chapter out of the story. If you're new here, we are going through a journey in the Bible. It's a survey journey. It's called The Story. We have about six books left in the entryway of the church, and, and, and if you haven't joined us yet and would like a book and uh, continue on the journey with us, those are free to you. Uh, it goes till May, so we're still in the Old Testament, and uh, the little cartoon that we show each week kind of gives you a recap of the particular chapter that we're on at this moment. And uh, so uh, we know that the Israelites were disobedient to God under their kings who also disobeyed God. They were hauled off into captivity. The city was destroyed of Jerusalem. The temple that Solomon built was destroyed the gold and silver and precious artifacts that were part of that temple of Solomon were hauled off as well as, as treasure by the Babylonians. And then, um, so off they go into uh, captivity and into exile, into foreign lands. But God all along promised that there would come a day when he would bring them back to the city of Jerusalem. And it took some time before that was going to take place. We understand how God works now by looking throughout the Old Testament, how God oftentimes has to take the group of people who had been the most disobedient to him and had abandoned him to the greatest extent and let those generations die off. If we remember uh, the Israelites in the wilderness, they complained and grumbled about God, so he made them wander for 40 years in the wilderness until that group that had grumbled and complained died off. He kind of wiped the slate clean. He did it with Noah and the ark. He wiped the slate clean. Well, in this case, it's sort of a similar thing. Think of it. In 70 years of time, most of those people who were originally hauled off into captivity had died. And so you have a group of people that have heard about this place called Jerusalem and this temple and the worship of God, but they, didn't, uh, they, they weren't familiar with that. And, and it's interesting because the Persian king, Cyrus, defeated the Babylonians, took all that treasure and all of that stuff, and in the fullness of time, as the Bible often says, God moved in the heart of a Persian king, a pagan king, to allow the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem and build their temple. And so in the process of doing that, they raised up a choice of people. They could decide whether they wanted to go back or whether they wanted to stay. And almost 50,000 people chose to go back to Jerusalem which was the place of their home, and reestablish their lives there. So what they did was they went back, this group of people, and they laid the foundation for the temple. The very first thing that they paid attention to was not to themselves, but to the big thing of God that was to take place there in Jerusalem. The big thing of God was to rebuild the temple. That was their purpose in going back. And King Cyrus also uh, made it possible for them to do it with resources. But there was some opposition. 
They laid that foundation down, and until the foundation of the temple was relayed down, and they celebrated with worship with the sons of Asaph, and the sons of Asaph were the ones, Asaph was the one who led the praise and worship and choir team for Israel in, in previous uh, generations. When that got done, then the, the people around them became very agitated. And they decided that they would discourage the people of Israel from continuing the work there. And what they did was they caused them to lose heart. And they disrupted their proceedings. And they paid off some of the supervisors. And all of a sudden, after a period of time, it ground to a halt. And the very thing that they went back to do, they forsook and and didn't finish it. Have you ever seen a a project where the foundation had been laid and they abandoned the project and it was just sitting there because they'd run out of money or they had run out of whatever. And and it, it just sat there. And so along comes two prophets, one named Haggai and one named Zechariah. And these would be called minor prophets in comparison to a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah. And partly it has to do with, I always thought of the minor prophets as they didn't write very, very much. Haggai is probably only going to fill a page and a half in your Bible. It's two chapters long. Uh, Zechariah is a little bit longer. But they came on the scene, and here's the beauty of this situation. God, when people are ready to hear from him again, he sends a prophet, a messenger. And unlike in the past when they ignored the prophets, and not only did they ignore them, they tried to kill them, in this case, the people listened to them. And the, and the prophets brought great encouragement from God to them to begin the work again. Start up the work. Get going. Finish the project. You, kept, you forgot that you didn't keep the main thing the main thing. Here's what we do. God has a big thing going on in your life, as he did for them. But instead of focusing on the big thing of God, they started focusing on the small things and details of their own personal lives. And in forgetting the big thing of God, they made the small things of their personal lives big things instead. We do that oftentimes, where we take the big thing of God We forsake and abandon it because we lose heart and become discouraged. And we move over and start paying attention to the little things. And we make those big things in our lives. And all of a sudden, the thing of God, the big thing of God, God himself, sits over here like an unfinished foundation sitting there, dormant, without anything happening on it. Our pattern of our lives often takes that same shape. We often, just because of whatever Forget the big thing of God. We abandon that very thing that we're to be about in our purpose. And we spend all our time over here on this little stuff. Haggai spoke about that. Let's bring this scripture up in chapter 1, right off the bat. Chapter 1, of course, he has to get to the point right away because he's only got two chapters to write. So here it is, Haggai, chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. This is what it says. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, meaning the temple, remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And in the scripture that I have, it says, 
Consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Let's stay on this verse a second. What he is saying here is, you are frustrated in your lives right now because you're doing these things, but you're frustrated because it's not, it's not fulfilling to you. It's not, not much is going on. And so you're exercising all this time and futility, spending your time on all these things. And he says, and it goes to reason. When we forsake the big thing of God, our relationship with him and the primary purpose of his, his connection with us, and spend this time over here, you will live a dissatisfied life. You will be dissatisfied. And that's what Haggai's telling them. No wonder you're dissatisfied. Let's go on. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says it again. Consider your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel was the governor of Judah that was appointed by King Cyrus to take and leadership and bring them back. And Zerubbabel was the very last political leader out of the line of David and all the way through up to the birth of Christ. So it still follows the line of David. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, what they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. So we, st- we have a totally different group of people now. Their hearts are willing to listen to the messenger that God sent to them and respond obediently to him. That's a new deal here. We've got a new group of people who have pliable hearts who are willing to listen and be corrected, unlike those earlier ones whose hearts had become hard and uh, they, they ceased listening to the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. That is probably the strongest encouragement anyone could ever have is to have God on their side. I am with you, declares the Lord. How is he with you? He is with you when you are with him, paying attention to the things that are of most importance to him. Not all this stuff over here that we get distracted on and spend time spinning our wheels in, when in reality it says, come back to God. Make him the first place in your life. And you will build and be satisfied because you are building for his plan in life. When we do that, 
we also must expect opposition. We must expect that it's not going to be easy. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel. The word that came to my mind when I thought of these people back where they were in their lives, when I think about our lives today, was the word adversity. Adversity. Because the word adversity, and I looked it up, these are some of the words that are associated with adversity. Trouble, hardship, distress, suffering, affliction, tribulation, woe, pain, trauma, disaster, and misfortune. That's adversity. The antidote to adversity is what I call resilience. The word resilience. The ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. Elasticity. The capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. Toughness. The ability to become strong, healthy, or successful again after something bad happens. To return to its original shape. Bouncing back. To be knocked down and come back stronger than ever. So it's important for us in our lives to have adversity because without adversity we wouldn't become strong. And uh, resilience brings us back to our original shape. So the people who labored, who'd left their homes and gone to Jerusalem where life was challenging and told to work on this place and make that the primary thing, then, then God would bless them. And we're going to see a, some inf- incidents of promise that God gives from the uh, prophet Zechariah from a scripture there in a moment. But this is uh, like an elastic band right here. And um, come up here, Rodrigo. Now, um, when, when we get stretched... You know, this thing will go out a long ways. And, and you know how the thing that says that God won't give anything more than you can handle? Well, sometimes we question whether or not that's really accurate or not. But um, here's the thing. You know, we get stretched out far, uh, really far. But here's the beauty of it. If, you let, if, if we let go, it returns to its original shape. And so, thank you. So now, but what happens then if I take this and I start doing this with it. What happens to me? I get stronger, don't I? I get stronger. So with adversity, and then returning to its original shape, for all of us, the resilience part of it is, as we exercise this, what happens to us? We get stronger. And so that's the encouragement I would share with you, and that that was what was happening with the people there, You know what happened? Out of obeying God in their own weakness, in their own inabilities, their own inadequacies, their own struggles, by putting him first, they got strong again. The people of Israel were returning back to the days of great faith under uh, King David and others where they were a mighty army following God, practicing their faith in the temple again. And they were strengthening people again. And God was using this example of rebuilding this temple 
to strengthen the people. The other part of what he needed that temple for was this. Jesus was coming. It would be uh, 500, more than 500 years before Jesus comes back on the scene. But this temple that they were building needed to be in place and the reestablishment of the sacrificial system of worship needed to be in place so that people could understand when Jesus came and started talking about a sin sacrifice, a blood sacrifice once for all, the people would already have established within their makeup and in their, in their uh, life's journey this notion of their faith and that Jesus then could become the Savior and the Messiah of the world. So God looks way down the road in his plans for us. And even in our lifetime, if things are not what you would like them to be, you, you, you may never see, like some of our earlier ancestors that believed in Jesus, they died not seeing the promise and the hope that they had hoped to see that God had given them. But it will take place. So we stay strong, we stay firm, we stay faithful, we stay committed, we stay on course, no matter what, regardless of what's happening around us, even if we die, and we learn that about uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and for Daniel, even if we die, we will continue to be faithful to God. But anyway, he is strengthening a group of people. So let's go to Zechariah, the prophet, and see what he had to say. This is his buddy, uh, Haggai and Zechariah. This is what he promised to them, and we told them to do. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is out of Zechariah 8, beginning in verse 14. But you should read Zechariah 1 when you get a chance. Read that whole little book of the, the Bible there, Zechariah 8. This is what the Lord Almighty, and I love the way they att attach that title to him. The Lord Almighty. You see that? The Lord Almighty. That's purposeful. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty, again, Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. And then there's another passage of Scripture. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come. This is what's coming. This is what, if they stay faithful, rebuild the temple, now Zechariah is prophesying into the future. And he's telling them what to expect. And here, when I read this passage, here's what I, here's what I thought of. If you build it, they will come. Field of Dreams, remember that movie? If you build it, they will come. So this is God saying basically that very thing. The inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Over and over again, Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty, Lord Almighty. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, 
Let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Is that awesome or what? Ten people grab one Jew by the hem of his robe and beg him, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten, that's, that's that verse. Okay, now, when I was talking with Rick and Colleen, <clears throat> they're leading a, a discipleship group at their church in Aspen uh, right now, and they have 30 participants. But the, the, whole, the whole idea of that in terms of individual believers is to live out loud their faith around other people. To live out loud your faith means that you evidence the presence of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life in all of your goings and comings and goings. So much so that people are going to want to know more about God and about you and about your life. Living out loud for the Lord. And that's what they're saying that you're going to, Zechariah's telling, you're going to live out loud for me. So much so that people from other nations and languages and tongues will gather around and say, we want that. We want the Lord like you have the Lord. We see that God is with you. Now, if that doesn't fire us up and get us focused again, today as we're here today i don't know what can so let's pray father thank you for this message today that we have an opportunity in in front of us that we can keep you as the center and the focus of our lives forgive us for making the small things of our lives big things and ignoring you over here on the other side who wants to be worshipped and obeyed and followed above all else in our lives. And that we would return in our hearts and in our spirits and our souls and our minds to you in all that comes with that relationship. Lord, we want to thank you today for the adversities in our lives. Those times when we have been troubled, when enemies have risen up against us, when there has been challenge in keeping our focus and our faith in the right place because that has only served to make us stronger. And I ask God that there will be a day, not only in our own individual lives, but in the life of this church, this corporate body of believers, that others around us will be drawn to you in the same way that Zechariah prophesied all nations and tongues will be drawn to the people of Israel because of what they see and beg for the opportunity to know. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing is our closing hymn, verses 1, 4, 5, and 7. We're going to stand. The words will be up here on the screen. Oh, we got an offering today. Sorry, sit down. Get your billfold out. Thank you. Yeah, Alicia said you might want, want to forget that. We, I, I've, often, I've done this many times. So you can't say I'm just all, all about your money.
we're going to sing this song. This song is amazing because it's, remember I told you a few weeks ago about uh, the guy in Sierra Leone that we gave money to and he says, my mouth is too small to say all the praise that I have in my heart to get it all out. Well, that's what kind of this hymn is all about. If I, I wish I had a thousand tongues to sing the praises of God. Chris Osnes, Chris, raise your hand, the guy with the big uh, beard back there, Grizzly Adams or one of the Duck Dynasty guys. Um, he's got prayer breakfast tickets for anybody that wants that. March 11th, Tuesday morning, 6.45 to 7.45 at the college. Uh, astronaut, Apollo astronaut 16, Charlie Duke. is. Uh, there's 12 guys that ever walked on the moon. He'll be with us. And... Um, but those tickets are really going fast. So if you intend to do this at all, I would encourage you to go ahead and get tickets today because we're going to sell out. We only can have 200 uh, max. So uh, Also, um, there was something else I was supposed to remember, but as usual, I think I've forgotten it, like the offering. Um, so uh, we're going to have a little benediction over the top. Rick and Colleen are going to be here at the front. You can find them up here to talk to them more about their ministry. If you want to go to lunch with us, you're welcome to do that. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace today and forever. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your day today.